Well, this morning, before we jump in, I, I need your help with something. So would you all just uh, agree with me on this, that we saw an incredible, incredible amount of people come to Graceland over the Christmas services, and we had an unbelievable amount of people inviting people, and we saw the fruit of that. And we used different ways to do it, to get the news out about it. We gave people little cards, and we had uh, things on web and, and, and things around town. But you know what really made the difference? It was you. You made the difference because you were inviting, you were bringing people. And so what I need your help with is on February the 5th, we're starting a brand new preaching series called Pursued. And it's going to be about the grace and forgiveness of God and his pursuit on our lives. And I could not be more excited about it. So I would love for you to be inviting people and bringing people for February the 5th. So can you help me out with that? Awesome. Thank you so very much. So we start our life series today as we continue the overall theme. And we started it out at the very beginning looking at Psalm 133.1. And I'd love for us all to read this out together. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in... Turn to your neighbor and say unity. Yeah, unity is something that military experts would say is a factor for successful campaigns. They actually came to coin this phrase, small unit cohesion. In other words, teamwork. It's, it overshadows technology or anything else. It makes a military unit formidable when there is small unit cohesion, when there's unity. One football team coach who has won national championships grabbed a hold of this concept and he created this phrase nine units strong the, the nine units of the football team and he said when we're firing on all nine cylinders nothing can defeat us and it's been evident over and over and over again in his teams the unity the, the teamwork the small unit cohesion would truly truly build a force that is unstoppable but it's something that we struggle with right it's something that we we lack and we desperately need and, and I would call all of you today to step up to the plate and to pursue unity in your life, in your relationships, specifically even in this community. See, what rips apart the cohesion and the unity of any relationship is, well, themselves. It's not from the outside. It's from the inside, where implosion begins to happen. See, when, when God's dream was shattered for community, when sin entered the world, relationships, they, be, they became complex and hurtful and, and negative and very hard to navigate. How many of you in this room would say relationships are the easiest thing in the world? Yeah, no one raised their hand in the first service either. Yeah, they're difficult. Hey, she cut me deep with her words. How will I ever forget it? I was hurting and no one ever seemed to care. I messed up. I made a mistake. And they will not let me live it down. Or after all these years in marriage, we just grew apart. Or they said that thing on Facebook and I unfriended them. And I don't want to talk to them anymore. They made this comment and it hurt deeper. I wanted to join that group. I wanted to get involved in that church, but they seemed so exclusive. They seemed like there was no room for me in that clique. It reminds me of this U.S. naval pilot by the name of Charles Plum. And he'd go on over 75 missions. And on his last mission, he was shot down behind enemy lines, parachuting to the ground in Vietnam territory, and he was put in prison. For six years, he would be in prison, but then he would be released, reunited with his wife. And one day, they're eating dinner together, 
And somebody recognizes him and says, hey, you're, you're plum. And he's surprised and he says, well, yeah, I am. How do you know? And the guy said, well, I, I packed your parachute. And the man, plum, he, he gets up out of his seat and he says, oh my goodness, thank, thank you so much. You saved my life. He certainly did, didn't he? Jesus Christ, he came to this earth to reset the table of what community relationships can look like. But what he would begin to do is that he would inspire a redemptive community with his life, with his death, with his resurrection that would spring up all over, that continues to spring up to this day, that relationships that would be different because relationships are difficult. They're hard to navigate as we already have shared. And as we try to navigate them, he would inspire people to write to these communities of Christ followers. They would begin to pack these parachutes so that people could cinch them up and strap them on so that they could safely fall to the ground and the relationships would not be destroyed. Because there will be turbulence, there will be fighting, there will be dogfights. But there's a way to navigate through the waters and safely fall to the ground. And so today, I just want to look at three parachutes with you. And my prayer is that you'll strap these on, that you'll cinch these up, that you'll buckle the safety belt, and you'll utilize these in your life. And the first parachute that I want to look at today, it involves an organ of the human body. I looked up this organ, and its description was this. It's a complex array of nerves that make up a two-ounce slab of mucus and muscle that is only a few inches long. It allows us to chew and to swallow our food. It helps us communicate. It's a two-ounce beast called the tongue. Some never learn to master it, do they? In, in fact, and some are pinned to the mat like a wrestling match by their tongue. And they'll never be able to master it until that casket lid closes for the final time. Do words, words should be watched. That first parachute is strapping and cinching down, is watching our words because they're powerful. The early church was inspired by Jesus, was told this in James chapter 3, verse 3. If you have a, a Bible, you can turn there or a smartphone, or if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there's a Bible in front of you. You don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to Grab that Bible, take it home with you. It'd be our gift to you. And, and perhaps today you don't, you've never read the Bible or you don't believe in the Bible. It's okay. You don't believe everything you read, right? So would you follow along and just maybe participate? James chapter 3, verse 3, it says this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great fire is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Another translation says it like this. The tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but even a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. There was a, an infamous fire in the city of Chicago in the fall of 1871. And the whole fire started when a cow kicked over a lantern on the east side of Chicago. It burned the barn up and it would set the whole city on fire. Hundreds of thousands of people would become homeless. Over 300 people would die that uh, fire. And then also at the same uh, time, millions and millions of dollars in damages all by one lantern. Our words are powerful. 
one word from a white person to a black person, or one phrase from a black person to a white person, or one phrase from a spouse to another spouse, or one word from one friend to another friend, or one phrase from one commander to another commander, a whole war begins, or, or one specific thing said to another person, and a fire, a blaze begins. Our words are so powerful. I, I was thinking about it this week. How many of you have seen the movie Bambi? There's a character in Bambi, Thumper. And, and Thumper says, if you remember, if you can't say anything nice. Yeah, good. You've seen it. Yeah. Words are so powerful. I mean, we just had Martin Luther King Day. And his words resonated, right? They, they're so powerful. Then we saw the inauguration and words reverberate. Words make a difference. And because of that, because of that, our, our words should be fewer. That each word should be weighed. It reminds me of one boy who never really got that message. He would write his mom and his dad from scout camp. He writes this, Dear Mom and Dad, our scoutmaster told us to write home to our parents in case you saw the flood on television or are worried. We're okay. Only one of our tents and two sleeping bags got washed up. Luckily, none of us got drowned because we were all up in the mountains looking for Chad when it happened. Oh yes, please call Chad's mom and tell her that he's okay. He can't write because of the cast. I got to ride in one of the search and rescue jeeps. It was neat. We never have found him in the dark had it been for the lightning. Our scoutmaster, Walt, got really mad at Chad for going on a hike alone without telling anyone. But Chad said he did tell him, but it was probably during the fire, so he probably didn't hear him. <laughs> did you know that if you put gas on a fire, the gas can will blow up? The wet wood did not burn, but one of the tents sure did. David is, David is going to look weird until his hair grows back. Now we're all going to come home on Saturday if Scoutmaster Walt gets the car fixed. It wasn't his fault about the wreck. The brakes worked okay when we left. Scoutmaster Walt said that with a car that old, you have to expect something to break down. That's probably why he can't get insurance. We think it's a neat car, though. He doesn't care if we get it dirty, and sometimes when it's hot, he just lets us ride on the fenders. We take turns, but it gets pretty hot when 10 people are in the car. He then lets us turn, uh, take turns right in the trailer until the highway patrolman stopped us and talked to us. Scoutmaster Walt is a neat guy. In fact, he's teaching Terry how to drive on the mountain roads where there isn't any traffic. Did you know that you don't need guardrails on roads that don't have much traffic? All we ever see up there are logging trucks. This morning, all the guys were diving off the rocks and swimming out in the lake. Scoutmaster Walt wouldn't let me because I can't swim. And Chad was afraid he'd sink because of that big cast. So he let us take the canoe across the lake. It was so great. You can still see some of the trees under the water from the flood. Scoutmaster uh, Walt isn't crabby like some scoutmasters. He didn't even get mad when we didn't have any life jackets. He has to spend a lot of time working on the old car, so we're trying not to cause him any trouble. Guess what? We all passed the test for our first aid merit badges. When Dave dove into the lake and cut his arm, we got to see how a tourniquet works. Wade and I threw up, but Scoutmaster Walt said it probably was food poisoning from the leftovers from the old chicken. He said he used to get sick that way from the food they ate in prison. Can you 
imagine getting this letter? He continues, I'm glad he got out because he became our scoutmaster. He said he sure figured out how to get things done while in the joint. I have to go now. We're going to go to town to the, uh, get some mail and buy bullets. Don't worry about anything. We're all fine. Love, call. <laughs> I love that. But our words, though, they should be weighed and they should be fewer. That, that Christ, he lends us his ear. That he consistently listens to us. And somewhere along the line, we have fell into a trap thinking that in order to offer someone something, we have to offer our words. But could the best offer be our silence? Could the best offer be just to simply listen? James, the brother of Jesus says, Know this, my beloved brother, and let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the book that we're basing this life series upon, it's called Life Together. Wonderful, wonderful book. He says, Christian brotherhood is an idea which we must realize. It is rather a, Christ, a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And wouldn't it be best if we would participate by simply listening, offering the ministry up by listening to one another, our, our mouths closed, our, our ears open to others. Because our words are powerful, though, we, we must also understand that our words, they should be purer. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 and following, we read this. It was in the year King, King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his, his robe filled the temple, attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their, their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, heavenly armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal. He had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. So Isaiah is in mourning because the king has died, but then he sees the king of kings and he knows his king is still there. And he's in the presence of God and all of a sudden he gets his glimpse that his words, boy, they're, they're not the way they should be. And then he realizes that the people that he resides with, their words, they're not as they should be. They're, they need to be purer. So many times we fall into the trap that our, that our words, to get a joke or to go along with what is being said around us, they, we sink to new lows. But then we're reminded by God himself that there's a better way, there's a, a higher way, there's a purer way. And what comes out of our mouth so many days is, is discouragement, is, is complaining, is the glass is half empty, that the world is falling apart, when in, in fact, we're so blessed. It reminds me of the joke that a, the guy joined a monastery and he went to the head uh, monk, monastery guy, whatever that you would call that guy, and they have this meeting, and he says, okay, you're not going to be allowed to talk unless, unless once a year, two words each year. Okay, so he goes through a whole year of silence, and he meets with the head monk, and, and, and the guy says, okay, what are your two words you get to say? And he says, bad food. Another year goes by, and he meets the guy, and he says, okay, you have two words, and he said, bed hard. 
And then he goes another year, and it's his third year, and he meets with the head monk, and the head monk goes, says, uh, what would be your two words? And he says, I quit. The head monk says, well, I don't, I'm not surprised. You got here, and all you've been doing is complaining. But, but notice Isaiah, he gets around God, and God sends his refining fire, his redemptive force, and, and from the inside out, He's redeemed, he's changed, he's transformed in his words, in his, his mouth, and the people's lives are transformed. We, we need this in our life. And perhaps some of us in this room, our words can be purified as we ask Jesus to do this. He's there for us. He can do it. That's the first parachute that I'd love for us to cinch up and, and to put on and, and to really rely upon as relationship struggles come. The second parachute that I want to look at it involves something with this lineman football sled that I want you to look at. Lineman football sled, it's there to train an offensive line or a defensive line to, to push. And now I could go to that, that sled and I could try all that I could. I could be as strong as I wanted, but that sled isn't going anywhere. It's going to stay right where it is. But when I get a couple friends to go with me, I push, man. I'm going to push that thing all over the field. And the second parachute that I'd love just to cinch up and, and to strap on would be the parachute of bearing the burdens of others. We face problems, all of us, and where Jesus is, there's a burden bearer. There's somebody who says, you know what, you don't have to walk alone. I'm going to shoulder the, the load with you. I'm going to push that sled forward. The Galatian church was shared and given these truths. If you want to look at Galatians chapter 6, And there in chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That Jesus, he will ultimately help you carry that burden. He will ultimately help you carry the, the load. But oftentimes he uses agents like Ray and you and, and others to, to help carry the load of each other. Bonhoeffer, he said it this way, Therefore the Bible can also characterize the whole life of the Christian as carrying or bearing the cross. It is the fellowship of the cross to experience the burden of the other. If one does not experience it, the fellowship he belongs to is not Christian. See, bearing each other's burdens, though, it's not simply that easy. It's not just simply as me saying it and going and doing it. And, and there's a couple of reasons. I think one of them is because we're not all the same. We're all different. And because we're not all the same, we're all different. We all have our own deal, don't we? But that's the way God created us. Psalm Chapter 139, 14 says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Like each individual snowflake that is completely different, so we are as well. That we all run this race differently. That we all have different talents. That we all come from different places. We all come from poor houses and rich houses and split apart houses and, and unified houses. We come from all shapes and sizes throughout this country and throughout this world. And no matter what our skin looks like, what color it is, or no matter what age we are, what demographic we are, no matter where we come from or where we're going, the carrying each other's burdens can unify any community. That we can bear each other's burdens. Another reason why it's very difficult to bear each other's burdens is because people are going to fail you. They're going to let you down. And when they let you down, you're going to 
instinctively want to walk away. Or even more, in fact, you're going to want to shoot the very person that's wounded. Because they've let you down. You feel like they turned your back on you. But the, the most important thing for us to realize in that moment is not that we need to shoot our wounded, but we need to extend a hand of healing out to our wounded. That we need to come alongside to bear each other's burdens. Bonhoeffer says, to cherish no contempt for the sinner, but rather to prize the privilege of bearing him means not to have to give him up as lost, to be able to accept him, to preserve fellowship with him through forgiveness. Right now in this very space, as we gather here in this room, there are burdens. There are burdens being carried by the rich and by the poor, by every skin color, by every culture. And, and they're all around you. People in front of you, behind you, to the side of you, to the other side of you. And we are called as a people, as a community of Jesus, to bear the burdens of each other, regardless of what they look like, to extend a hand, to forgive and to extend grace. And when we do, friends, that parachute allows us to safely land, the relationships still intact. Just cinching that up, strapping that on, so important. Then a third parachute that we cinch up and we, we, we strap on and we buckle the belt. I'm going to call crucial conversations. I was doing a lot of research on this this week and I came across this one author who made an unbelievable point. I want to share a little bit about that. And it's based out of Leviticus number chapter 19, verse 17 and 18. And, and, and this is an obscure passage but I love what it has to say, and I'll read that out for you. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 17, it's found in the Old Testament. 19, 17 through 18, it says this, Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. You know, as you look at this chapter you can see all these phrases that you've thought and heard before, especially if you've ever been around church. Maybe you've never been around church, but I grew up in a church setting and culture. And I've heard a lot of these phrases. How many of you, by show of hands, have heard of the phrase, love your neighbor? Yeah, even those of you who never grew up in church have heard that phrase. But then you hear the phrase and read, rebuke your neighbor frankly. How many of you this week rebuked your neighbor frankly? The first service, nobody, okay? And it looks like nobody in this service. Now, how many of you reading this are really excited about rebuking your neighbor, frankly? You're like, I've been saving something up for, since Christmas, and I cannot wait to rebuke this person. There's a book out that I read a while back called Crucial Conversations, and the author is Joseph Grenny. And the summary of the book is that there are relationships that are so important to your life that if you were to step outside of those relationships, it would destroy you and even destroy the community of Jesus that we hold so dear. And what is critical is how we handle specific conversations that will impact your life in those relationships. He, he boils a crucial conversation down to three things. He says, look, you know it's a crucial conversation when there's a difference of opinion, where the stakes are high and the emotions, they run so strong. And we know these to be true if I just start to list these off. You're a leader in an organization and there's somebody on your team that you know you need to have a conversation with, but you don't know how to have it. You're a student, you're a college student, you're a young adult, and 
There's been a crucial thing happen in your family. And, and there's this divide. And you don't know how to have this conversation, but you know you need to have it. Your spouse is working way too much and they're always gone. And you miss them, but you don't want to be a whiner. How do you approach them without them feeling like you're attacking them? Someone you love, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, wants to be a movie star, a rock star, wants to be an actor, actress, and you know, and everybody knows, they don't have a prayer. How do you let them down softly? How does that conversation go? This, this is real life, right? Your family members or your friends, they communicate they haven't seen you in a while. And so you sacrifice, you, you set side aside in your, your busy schedule and you go to them and you, you spend time with them and you begin to leave and they kind of say one last word to you as, you as you leave and they say, hey, why don't you come back sometime when you're not in such a hurry? And you're like, oh, I just tried. How does that conversation go? Well, I think at first we have to boil down what's a crucial conversation, right? We have to recognize ones that aren't from ones that are. One buddy of mine said it this way. He said, look, some conversations are like the common cold. They'll go away. But others are cancers. If you don't deal with them, they'll become deadly. And we must understand what this looks like in our life. Otherwise, we begin to build a wall in our relationships. And how we build a wall are the two basic ingredients of avoidance and time. The more time and the more avoidance that we add together are the brick and mortar of a wall that is built stronger and higher than your relationships with, can withstand and your community is shattered. You've experienced this. I've experienced this. I've done this. Sadly, I've done that. But if we look at Scripture, what the beauty of it is, is that time in and time again, that scripture, the Bible, it's just one crucial conversation after another. If we recall from the very beginning, one of the relationships that we see is, is there, it's Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And you have Cain murdering his brother Abel. I wonder what if would have happened if Cain would have had a crucial conversation with Abel. Would that murder have happened? We don't know, but we can ask what if. In Granny in his book, he says this, if you don't talk it out, you'll act it out. If you don't talk it out, you'll act it out. And that's exactly what happens to Cain with Abel. He acts it out, and it ends up not only hurting the other person, but hurting yourself. I mean, Leviticus says that you'll end up bearing a grudge. Bonhoeffer says it this way, that reproof is unavoidable. Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. It, some of us hear this word rebuke and it makes us squeamish. We love to hear phrases like be at peace with all people. I can do that. I can try to do that. I could focus my life around just being nice. And we've become an overly nice community without the power of candor. And so our communities are divided. And we see this outplaying right now in, in our local media, in our social media, that people are struggling with these crucial conversations and the art of it all. And you begin to wonder, how in the world can you rebuke someone and say in relationship? And it really leads back to this lie we bought into many years ago where we thought, you know, we have a choice, right? Between a, a friendship and a crucial conversation, but we can't have both. So Granny, in his, in his life, he has a son and his son films this video about proving the point that we bought into this one specific lie. I thought we could watch it together. 
We all know adults stink at talking about tough things, but how about little kids? Here's my experiment. Feed kids wretched brownies, then see if they'll tell you the truth, especially when they think it might hurt your feelings. First, I made the brownies. Lots of chocolate, eggs and flour, but instead of sugar, I put in salt. Lots of salt. There's no way they could like these better. Now I recruit kids of various ages for a taste test. I tell them I want to compare ordinary brownies to my special brownies. My dear grandmother's special recipe. My dear dead grandmother's special recipe. Then I give them a dollar for being such a big help. My parents always taught me that if you want someone to like you, give them money. Okay, here goes. First they ate the yummy sugar brownies. Next, they eat the salt bricks. Watch this girl. She can hardly keep from gagging. And now for the crucial moment. Will they tell me the truth and possibly offend me? I asked them to point to the brownies they like best. No surprise that some tried to spare my feelings. But watch. Even the one who gagged? And how about really little kids? But do you want to know what they really thought? Here guys, I have leftovers. Does anybody want seconds? We laugh, but we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in that group, we've all been in that church, or that community, or those relationships. And everybody knows, sadly, but the person making the brownies, right? We, we all know and we all talk about it, but no one at times will just go and rebuke the brownie maker. And then comes the hurt, then comes the frustration, then comes the, the disappearing of community and people leaving the conversation. And you think about Jesus, how he would demonstrate crucial conversations with real people in real ways. He was a master at this. We see it with Martha and Mary. We see it with him and Peter over and over again. It was like a broken record with Peter, wasn't it? He says in Matthew 16, 21, he said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to the life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, Peter said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He said, Look, I understand that where you feel, but look, man, this is a crucial conversation. Do you know what's at stake? Do you imagine if Jesus had not said these words, where would Peter be? Where would we be to this day? So a few weeks ago, I had one of these crucial conversations. And I'll be honest, I don't enjoy this, okay? So I was in, in this big group of people, and they all have known me for a long time. And the longer someone knows you, the more dirt they got on you, right? 
And so we're all talking, we're all joking, and, and one of them turns to another one and makes a snotty comment about me. And it dug deep because partially it was true. And it hurt deep. And so I just kept on playing along and putting a smile on my face, but I, I was hurting. So that night ended, and, and I carried that around, that wound around with me for a few days. And I thought, you know, it'll go away. I'll just let it go. But I couldn't shake it. And I thought, okay, I need to go. I need to have a crucial conversation. So I called them up on the phone, and I said, hey, look, I need to tell you, this is going to sound maybe ultra-sensitive. Maybe I'm off in left field. You didn't mean it this way. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean this to, be, you know, to sound wrong, but that really hurt. And, and here's why. Because I've been trying from the age of like 15 for that to change. And you know what happened as a result of that conversation? Their community won. That we got closer together. That it actually formed a, an entrenched, a deeper communication level than we've ever had before. But then on the other hand, there are people not here that when they hear the word rebuke makes them squeamish. You hear the word rebuke and you sit up a little bit more straight in your, your chair. You get excited. You're like a professional rebuker. You could go pro. And no elbowing. Just keep those elbows locked, all right? But that's you. And I love you. And you're built that way. And I'm glad you're built that way because we need professional rebukers. But professional rebukers, I want to point your attention back to Scripture. And it says this, rebuke your what? What? Rebuke your? Yeah, not your enemy. Not your nemesis. Not the person that you seek revenge upon, but your neighbor. See, it's, it's a process of, of, of life. It's a process of mature, life-seeking community. This is an opportunity to take revenge. No, no, no. This is an out, of, out, of, out of an attitude of seeking restoration. And this is advanced. This isn't easy. This takes maturity. This is something that we don't always like to deal with. So Granny, in his book, he shares six crucial conversations, steps. And I'd like for you just to list these out one by one real quickly. Number one, start with your heart and biblical truth. Just start with a heart and intent to see restoration happen. Number two, stay in dialogue and don't let the lines of conversation drop. Meaning if, if conversation is, is dwindling, then step back. Number three, make it safe by listening and being aware. You want to be a safe and they want to feel safe. You have to make sure that. Number four, don't get hooked by emotion. If you fly off the handle, the conversation, the crucial conversation may come to an end. Number five, know the facts. Don't just know the conjecture. And number six, move to agreed action. What is the preferred outcome? Where do you want to end up? And, and so I'll share with you two different stories. Two different outcomes. One story is about these two ladies that are extremely good leaders, extremely successful in what they do. And they had a passion to start this community of, of women at this one church that I worked with. And this community began, and it became the, the, the strongest community in the whole area. Ladies from all around, all ages were coming, and it was incredible to watch. It really was. And, and then one day, one of the leaders, the co-leader, said to the other co-leader, or actually said something about, made a comment, and that other leader took it in a way they didn't mean, and this rift started to form. The wall began to be built, and avoidance and time 
took its toll. And, and as things began to unfold, they drifted apart and they knew they were drifting apart and they wouldn't talk about it. Well, guess what happened to that community? It dissolved, basically. And I watched it happen. And even though I tried to save it, it could not be saved. Another conversation was with this one 18-year-old woman that I knew. And I say her, name, her age intentionally. As a lot of times the maturity has nothing to do with your actual age. It has to do with surrender. So I'm asked by a senior pastor at a church that I worked with that I would go into this one ministry and that I would kind of breathe new life into it. It plateau. There was just a few people participating. I said, we'd love to see you, you know, that Ray just reach more people. And so I said, okay. So I got together with that local community. There's just a few, and we all got together, and I said, hey, what does it look like for us to change things up so that we can see new results, so people's lives, you know, reach and relationships be formed? And one of the, the people got really upset. And for a few months, she just brewed on it. Well, eventually, she, she called us aside. She said, can we have a conversation? A crucial conversation is what she had with us. And we walked through it bit by bit, there was maturity, there was love with the end goal of community in mind. And, and, and through that, our relationship built stronger. And she became a leader of leader of leaders in that community. And that community, based upon her and a couple others, blew up. I mean, just exploded. It became one of the leading voices in reaching those, that age group in the entire region. She would start dating and end up marrying this guy, and they would intern, and, and eventually now they lead that ministry that we started together, and it's doing better than even when I was there. All because of a crucial conversation that was had. How many times have we, not, have we failed and settled when, when a ministry impact and lives transformed could be so much greater? An 18-year-old in her maturity. How many times has this 37-year-old failed to have that same maturity? Too many, I admit. So as I come to a close today, I want to just ask you, out of all those three parachutes that I want you to cinch up, that I want you to strap on, that I want you to buckle your belt on, which one would you circle? Circle it now. And as you circle it, this week, I would ask that you begin to see community transform in your relationships. I want to pray for that as you circle it. Bow your head with me, please. Heavenly Father, we, th we thank you so much for your work. We thank you for your son Jesus and how the Jesus community was, was truly recast when your son came. He would live, he would die, he'd be resurrected from the grave. And, and God, thank you for your, your representation and your truth and how it inspires us. And I pray here today that you would truly help our parachutes to be packed with the truth that you share. We cinch these up. They would buckle our belt. That you would help us to strap these on and that for our relationships, even though there'll be struggles that we would not suffer because of it and that we would be stronger together. Pray for anyone here, any relationship in this place that needs your help and your supernatural work. In your name we pray.